Bible with you. We're going to be reading this morning from the book of Colossians. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can also find that page in your bulletin, Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. This is God's Word. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We pray for us. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Um, Father, I pray you'd help us to hear it and to believe it. And Father, even these things which are, uh, we would acknowledge we struggle with these things, that you would help us to actually uh, do as you tell us to do. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in life, uh, we all face different physical infirmities at different times. Uh, and, and we deal with different sorts of infirmities in different ways. If someone is diagnosed with cancer, They usually want to begin treatment for that as rapidly, rapidly, as quickly as possible. Uh, On the other hand, if your kids have colds, you kind of go, I'm sorry you don't feel good to hear the Kleenex. Uh, Try not to keep me awake. Uh, And and then there are those physical infirmities that over time, you just, nothing can be done about them, and you just have to learn to live with them. Uh, We're in this study of the book of Colossians, written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Now, if you remember, if you were here a couple of messages back, uh, what we did is we looked at Colossians 2, and we talked about how it's possible for people to be very religious, uh, very spiritual, but all the time in the midst of that religiosity uh, to have Jesus either completely absent from their religion or just sort of on the sidelines of their religion. Uh, And we talked about uh, one of the things that happens in especially southern Christianity is that we make these lists of things to avoid. Uh, Don't drink, don't use tobacco, don't listen to secular music, don't hang out with people who are sinners. Don't do all these things and you'll be okay. Uh, And and we talked about the fact that these lists aren't actually in the Bible. And one of the things that, one of the effects of these lists, one of the effects that these lists have uh, is that they help us to feel like we're doing pretty good. That, hey, I'm being a good Christian. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. While we miss often the glaring heart sins in our lives. Uh, the, the greed that is there. The talking about people behind their backs. The impatience. The anger. We've got the list. And we're keeping the list. And so we feel pretty good about what we're doing. But we have this religion with no Jesus in it at all. And so what Paul does is that he shows us, look... You're not saved by keeping lists. 
Uh, you're not saved by keeping the rules, especially you're not saved by keeping any list of man-made rules. But you're made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. You can't add anything to that. You can't take anything away from that. It's Jesus Christ plus nothing. Now you hear that and that's a great message, right? Uh, but one of the things that people do with that message from time to time is they'll ask the question, well, if it's all Jesus and I don't offer anything to the equation, does that mean I just can do whatever I want to do? And, you know, honestly, that's the direction I kind of want to go um, because I'd much rather indulge my own appetite than listen to God telling me what to do. I'd prefer to make the rules because I don't want anyone ruling over me. And so... The passage we're looking at in chapter 3 today, uh, Paul is saying, look, you're not made right with God by list, by rule keeping, but that doesn't mean there aren't any rules. Uh, And sort of what he does is he removes this man-made list that he's kind of talked about in chapter 2, and then he presents us with another list, but it's a list that goes deeper and a list that actually goes to your heart and not just to your external actions. Um, But even as we look about this and think about this, we have to remember that just having a list doesn't help you to keep the list. Uh, Living in a way that's pleasing to God and that's actually good for you is just not easy. Uh, It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a battle. You're going to have to struggle to do this at times. Now, why is that? Why is it hard work for somebody who believes in Jesus Christ, why is it still hard at them at times to do what their Savior would have them to do? Well, even though that person's been giving right standing with God, they've been brought out from under the dominion of sin, there's still sin there. And we're going to look at that in a minute. There's still this sinful nature. Uh, We're saints, and yet we're sinners. As one book puts it, uh, we're pirates, and yet we're monks. Uh, all at the same time. And you gotta, the Bible's telling you to keep fighting the pirate. Um, so maybe we'll make that the title today. Uh, <laughs> fighting the pirate. But, but, but what I want you to see this morning is, as we look at this is, is, is four things. If you're a Christian, four things just to keep in mind as you're thinking about your own battle with sin. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, then what I want you to see is maybe a glimpse into what Christianity really looks like. Like I think we have kind of these false conceptions of what it's like to be a Christian. Let me give you an insight into what it really looks like to be a Christian and also maybe an insight into how people really can change. Uh, how really pe- people really can be free from addictions. So four things here. Uh, sin is still there, even for the believer in Jesus Christ. We need to deal with sin like it's cancer and not like it's a cold. We need to deal with the root of sin and not just the fruit. Uh, And we need to believe the gospel or we won't make any progress at all in our battle against sin. So, uh, first of all, sin is still there. Have you ever had uh, a house guest perhaps to come and stay with you? Uh, And they said, oh, we're leaving in the morning. And you go off to work and you come back and they're still there. Like, oh, you're still here. Aren't you leaving yet? Um, One of the things that young Christians often struggle with is you're still here, sin. Uh, I I thought I I gave my life to Jesus and this wasn't going to be a problem for me anymore. And yet 
here I am doing the things that I don't really want to do anymore and I'm having a hard time doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. Why is this? Uh, the reason for this ongoing battle with sin for the believer is that while sin's rule has been overthrown, sin is still there. Uh, think about, just in the news recently, uh, Osama bin Laden was killed and so, uh, in a sense, Al-Qaeda was really decapitated uh, and is really lessening in its influence. But it hasn't gone away. It's still there. There's still this guerrilla warfare going on to going on that has to be dealt with. And you can see Paul really believes this uh, because he tells Christians in these verses that you've got to be fighting against sin. He says, uh, put to death whatever is earthly in you. Or the NIV says, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Uh, He tells Christians to put off anger like an old set of clothes. He tells Christians, don't lie to each other. Now, if sin had kind of left the building, if it just wasn't an issue anymore, then Paul wouldn't have to say these things, right? It would just be pointless to say this. Uh, But sin hasn't left the building, and so he has to remind Christians of these things, that sin is still there. Now, I think if you're you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you would agree with me on this, um, at least generally. But I find is that we agree with this generally, but we have a hard time acknowledging it particularly. In other words, we don't have a hard time confessing, yes, I'm a sinner. We have a harder time saying, I sinned by doing fill in the blank. I kind of dream of that day when I walk into a prayer meeting and somebody says, I'm really struggling with alcohol. Uh, I'm having a hard time with my wife. I really don't, uh, haven't loved my children very much this week and wish they weren't around. Um, But we don't do that, do we? We We don't confess particular sin. We just sort of acknowledge, yes, I'm a sinner. And I think one of the reasons we have a hard time confessing sin to each other is that we're not really believing the gospel. That we always gravitate to this idea that I'm justified, I'm, I'm, I'm made right with God based on the level of my sanctification. And we don't believe that for ourselves. And we don't believe that in the way that we relate to each other either. I'll believe you're justified based on the level of your sanctification. Uh, And so we have a hard time acknowledging our sin to each other. Uh, Verse 5, Paul mentions sexual sin. Now that's a sin that's rampant in the church. Uh, And it's something that is is not, that you can't really talk about that much. The statistics on men and women struggling with this, men and women struggling with this are frightening. Uh, And especially for women, the church is not a safe place to confess that you're struggling with a sin. Uh, verse 5, Paul also mentions coveting. Some of your translations say greed. But hey, you know, this is America, and you might argue that our, that our economy is built on coveting and greed. And so we don't want to press that one too hard. Uh, verse 8, Paul talks about sins of the tongue. Uh, but I've found that as long as you don't cuss, you can say pretty much whatever you want to about somebody else. Uh, as long as you say it in a very concerned tone, right? I'm really worried about how. You know, if you, if you say, and I'm just, I'm not. Um, actually, I'm worried about all of you because I'm worried about me too. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Uh, but as long as you kind of preface it by, you know, the way you say it, um, 
you can get away with whatever you want to say. Uh, slander, what have you. So we've got one sin here that we don't talk about because it's too uncomfortable. Uh, and two sins that we don't talk about because uh, they're not really that big a deal. Greed, talking about people, it, we're not really worried about that. And so you see in all this, Paul saying, look, you're, you're still a sinner. You're still a sinner and you've got to be cognizant of that fact. Um, secondly here, uh, sin is still here, but I think sometimes we use that as an excuse to say, well, it's still here. It's not going away. It's kind of like that disease I can't get rid of. I, you know, what are you going to do? Just live with it. It's always going to be like this. Uh, but, but notice that Paul here is very concerned uh, that believers don't adopt this kind of, well, whatever, uh, sort of attitude, but that they actually battle against remaining sin. He reminds us in verse 6, you know God's wrath is coming because of these sins. You might ought to be mindful of them. Uh, he exhorts us to put sin to death. Uh, John Owen is one who said, you need to be killing sin or it will be killing you. Uh, you ought to be killing sin or it will be killing you. Uh, and I'm not sure we really believe that. But again, it's just kind of, well, it's there and yeah, I know it's wrong. Um, but we've just kind of learned to live with it. How often do we look at our sin as this cancer that has this potential to really destroy us and destroy our families uh, and our lives? That we've got to kill it before it kills us. Now look, uh, one of the things and one of the reasons we, we call the church grace uh, is that we want this to be a place where people can come and process, where if you're not a believer, you can come and sit and ask questions and be honest about who you are. If you are a believer, where you can come and be honest about your sin and your struggle, and, and, and we, can, we can work through all of that together. But we also have to be a place um, where I have to warn people from time to time. that The Bible really does say, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Uh, the things that we do, whether you're a believer or not a believer, have consequences. And dwelling on those evil desires and indulging those sinful passions, um, speaking hatefully, there are consequences to unchecked sin in our lives. And so we've got to be killing sin or it will be killing us. Uh, we talked about uh, my garden that I don't have, but that I had a few years ago, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and you know, when you, when you plant a garden, what do you do? Well, you plow it up, or you get somebody to plow it up for you, and it looks great, right? There are no weeds there, it's just this beautiful tilled piece of soil. And then you put the plants in and they start to grow, but what starts to grow right alongside with those plants? Well, the weeds start to come right alongside with those plants. Uh, and if you aren't diligent about hoeing the weeds, about... Uh, taking care of the weeds, the weeds can take over the garden. The less you hoe, uh, the more they grow. Uh, and and the, the more they grow, I don't have anything else that rhymes, the more they grow, um, you know, the less productive your, your vegetables are going to be. Uh, and, and you have to stay after the weeds. And you can look at gardens and you can say, well, that's a pretty, that's a well-kept garden. And you can look at another one and say, they haven't hit it in a couple of weeks. That one's pretty overgrown. I'm not 
sure they intended that to be a garden or not. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on there. All right, it's, it's the same way with the garden of our soul. The way we tend our soul says something about who we are and our spiritual intentions and what we want to see there. You've got to be killing sin or you'll be killing you. All right, third point. We need to deal with the root of sin and not just the fruit. We've got to deal with the root of sin and not just the fruit. Uh, verse 5 here is interesting because commentators think that Paul's thought processes, uh, thought processes from external sin to internal sin, from external sexual sins to sins of the heart, uh, evil deeds, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, that you're working from outside things to inside things, to so what's actually going on in your heart. Uh, and then... He's kind of gone through that list, and then suddenly he sort of leaps to covetousness. All right, covetousness. What's that? Uh, I've talked about it before. What's the difference between wanting something and coveting something? And I've used uh, Tim Keller's definition with you. Uh, wanting is when you're the dog, um, and the want is the tail. Coveting is when the want is the dog, and you're the tail. When the want wags you, it's got you. It's in charge. And then you're coveting. Coveting is this command that's all about our hearts. Uh, Francis Schaeffer said that anytime you break one of the other ten commandments, you're also breaking the tenth commandment, which is do not covet. That they're all tied together. Uh, why do we lie? Why do we uh, why do we lie? Because we think there's something to be gained by that. Why do we still or commit adultery. There's something we want that's not ours, but we decide to take it anyway. Why don't we keep the Sabbath? Well, we covet time. You can tie all of these commandments uh, back in to the tenth commandment, which is do not covet. Now think about the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What are we doing? Well, we're, when we break it, well, we're, we're putting something before God. Think about the Tenth Commandment. What are you doing when you break it? Well, you're putting something. I've got to have something other than God. It's even been said uh, that the Tenth Commandment is the first commandment put in psychological uh, terminology. And notice then what Paul says. All right? he, he ties these together for us. Put together covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, say that a lot of times, covetousness is idolatry. And so you see where this is heading is that our sin problem at the end of the day is actually a worship problem. Uh, it's an idolatry problem. And the idols aren't just out there somewhere for me to avoid, but I'm actually carrying them around with me in my heart. Uh, listen to what Ed Welch said about this. He said, Idolatry includes anything, anything on which we set our affections and indulge as an excessive and sinful attachment. Therefore, the idols we can see, such as a bottle, are certainly not the whole problem. Idolatry includes anything we worship. The lust for pleasure, respect, love, power, control, our freedom from pain. Furthermore, the problem is not outside of us, 
located in a liquor store or on the internet, the problem is within us. Alcohol and drugs are essentially satisfiers of deeper idols. The problem is not the idolatrous substance, it is the false worship of the heart. The problem is not the idolatrous substance, it's the false worship of the heart. Now, would we want to put to death the external fruit of our idolatrous hearts? Absolutely. Uh, Paul tells us here one of the things he says is to avoid sexual immorality. And when someone's struggling with that, uh, we give them things to do. You need to probably get rid of cable, have an accountability partner on the internet, these sorts of things. But if that's all you do, and you can put any sin in that blank, if that's all you do is kind of deal with the external occasions to sin, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Why? Because you haven't dealt with your heart and what your heart is actually attached to. You've gotten rid of the source of temptation, but you haven't addressed the sinfulness of your heart and the idolatry of your heart. Well, why would we worship an idol in the first place? As a way of getting at this. Uh, why would we worship an idol in the first place? Well, think about our call to worship. Uh, we're looking for a place of refuge. Uh, we're looking for a shelter. We worship idols because we're looking for deliverance and meaning and hope and security. All these things apart from God. Uh, Ed Welch says that we try to manipulate idols for our own benefit. In other words, we don't, you don't start off worshiping an idol because you want to be ruled by the idol, but you want to use that idol and manipulate that idol for your benefit. Uh, no one who sins wants to be ruled by sin. You know, if, if you're struggling with alcohol, you're not going to the bottle because you want to be ruled by the bottle. If you're struggling with sexual immorality, you're not doing that because you want to be ruled by that particular sin. No, you want that thing, whatever it is, to give you what your heart craves. To give you what you want. Uh, It may be that you want pleasure at all costs. It may be that you're just trying to escape the stress of the world. You may want a fantasy world in which you're free from the problems that you have with, with real people. Uh, you may like imagined relationships because they make you feel better about yourself. Uh, you, you may want fulfillment and meaning. You may want to be in control. Uh, we get involved with people that we shouldn't because we crave acceptance and they accept us Uh, we look for something to be a deliverer to deliver me from just this the insignificance and meaninglessness of life we even want to just escape the reality of death and suffering and so we turn to idols we turn to idols and we bow and we worship Uh, The psalmist says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Uh, David Paulison says, How many of us are saying to ourselves, After I've walked through that God-forsaken valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because the photograph of a surgically enhanced female is with me. And then he says, A false refuge looks pretty silly when exposed for what it really is. A false refuge looks pretty silly when exposed for what it really is. We bow down to idols thinking that they're going to give us something that we want. But they never do. 
And so the effect that idols have is that they begin actually to enslave us. And the pleasure that our idol, we think it's going to bring us, it's always just a little bit out of reach. So you always need one more of whatever it is. Uh, screw tape letters. C.S. Lewis, put it this way. Uh, the, the, the demon uncle says, I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention and not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is, in, is to encourage the humans to take the pleasure which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. And so what all that is telling us is that our idols can never satisfy our longings. Uh, and yet we found ourselves going back and going back, bowing down to them, and we're not finding what we want, but instead we're actually finding slavery instead of freedom. You can insert the idol there. Uh, Paul talks here later in this passage about lying. Don't lie to one another. And yet we crave comfort and power and control and what the lie will bring us. And so we bow down to it because we don't believe that God is good and that God will bless us sufficiently. So we have to look for blessing in other places. What do we do with all that? Uh, what, what should we do to begin to root these idols out of our lives? And I'll probably come back to this at a later date. because we, we could spend a lot of time on this. But just to give you some thoughts on this to start with. One of the things you have to do is define them. Right? You actually have to find the idols in your life. And you might ask yourself questions like, what do I worry about the most? Right? When, you, when, you, when you lie down at night and there's this thing that just keeps... What do you worry about the most? What do, you rely to, what do you rely on to comfort yourself when things are going badly? Right? When nothing's going right, where do you go? Where do you turn? Uh, what do you think most easily about? Right? When you're just driving down the road, you don't have the radio on. Where's your mind most easily go? Uh, what prayer unanswered would make me seriously think about turning away from God? Hey God, I'll follow you unless you don't give me this. Uh, answer those questions honestly and you'll begin to see where some of your idols are. But there's a second thing we need to do. Uh, and the second thing is this. You look for the idol, but then I want you to look for the idol underneath the idol. Okay? Look for the idol, and I'm getting a lot of stuff from, from Tim Keller and David Paulison. Uh, look for the idol, and then look for the idol underneath the idol. Uh, food might be the, the apparent idol, the near idol. But what's driving that idolatry is a comfort idolatry. Uh, sex may be the near idol, but the idol underneath that idol may be a pleasure idolatry. Uh, approval idolatry. And so you got to ask yourself, what's really going on here? And you don't just stop with the first thing you find. You know, my, I'm uh, possibly obsessed with my appearance. I want to be beautiful. Well, why do I want to be beautiful? Why am I upset, obsessing with that? 
Uh, maybe it's because I want to be accepted. And so I'll do anything, um, even starving myself, in order to be accepted. What, what's going on there? And so you've got to figure out what the idol is. And sometimes that's the, 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 the near idol can be the more apparent idol. Because that's what feels like it's causing you the most, tr- most trouble. But then to actually deer, deal with that near idol, you've got to go underneath that. And go, okay, why? why? Why is this here? What's going on in my heart and my soul emotionally that I feel like I've got to have this? Why is this ruling over me? Uh, all right, find the idol. Find the idol underneath the idol. And then find the idol underneath the idol. Under, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> after that, um, you need to simply repent. Uh, God, I've sinned against you and I've made something else my treasure. Say that to God. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm clinging to something besides you. And I need to be honest about that. And I need to, be, need to repent. And then fourth, uh, work at destroying the attractiveness of the idol. Because the reason you're pursuing the idol is not because it's ugly and you think it's going to wreck your life. Um, it's beautiful to you and you think it's going to help your life. But it's lying to you when it says that. And so you've got to work at destroying the attractiveness of the idol. We need to see how our idols lie to us. How they enslave us. How they never deliver on what they promise us. And you've got to begin to see it for what it is and expose it for what it is. You've got to see how much it, it grieves Jesus. And so we've got to see our idols for what they are and work at destroying the attractiveness of them. And then finally, all right, I look at the idol. I look for the idol underneath the idol. I repent. I work at destroying the attractiveness of the idol. And then finally, we set our hearts and our minds to knowing God. Now, this is so obvious when I think about it for any length of time. But I think we very easily just leave this out of the equation. That I'm somehow going to become a more upright person without actually knowing God better. As if I'm just kind of this moral self-salvation project. Uh, we, we think sin is just going to go away if I back far enough away from it. And if I work really hard at not doing it, and it doesn't happen, because the root of our sin is a worship problem. And if at the root of my sin is a worship problem, I mean, what, what's worship? It's you, it's you falling in love with something and gravitating toward it and embracing it. All right? And if you're going to let go of that, you've got to find something else to fall madly in love with and to embrace and to worship. And so what that means is, if you're really going to follow, follow God and obey Him, you've got to fall madly in love with Him. And you've got to know Him. And you've got to see how beautiful He is. There's got to be something that's more attractive about Him to you than, than the idol is attractive to you. Now, you may be thinking at this point, well, great, now what you're going to tell me to do is I need to read my Bible and pray. Um, but look, you, you've got to see scripture reading and prayer and attending worship not as these things that you do, God, do in an effort to twist God's arm and get Him to bless you. 
But you've got to see these ways, got to see these things as ways of actually getting to know God and knowing His heart and seeing what He's like and seeing what He likes and seeing how much He loves you and who He is and what He desires. And the more you see Him, the more beautiful He becomes and the more you actually worship Him. And then guess what? Obedience begins to make more sense to you. Well, last thing, and then I'm going to close. Um, We've got to believe the gospel or we'll never make any real progress in our battle against sin. Um, Paul's imperatives to us in saying do battle against sin, they're always surrounded by the indicatives of the gospel. And I think sometimes we, we, we can kind of talk about the first, and then we talk about the second, but we don't connect the two. And so it sounds like, well, here's the gospel, okay, that's great, and then here's, oh, I've got to figure out how to do this. And these things have actually got to be connected in our minds if we're going to make progress. Uh, one, you've got to believe the gospel. You've got to believe that justification, that you're standing before God, is through what Jesus has done and, and not a lick through what you do. Uh, you've got to believe that before you can make any real progress against your idolatry. Because if you don't believe that, you're not going to want to own up to what your idols are. You're going to be hesitant about speaking them. Uh, you're not going to be able to go down deep and see what's really going on in your heart. Because you've got too much invested in trying to justify yourself. And so it's our failure to really believe and appropriate justification by faith that keeps us from going down deep into our hearts and being honest about what's really going on there. Because it's too uncomfortable. Because you get a little deeper and you're like, man, I'm really worse than I thought. Okay, well, who are you going to rely on now? Is it you or is it Jesus? If it's you, you're going to stop right there. I can't speak this about myself. But if it's Jesus and you're relying completely on Jesus, then as uncomfortable as it may be, you're able to say, yeah, I really do struggle with that. And that, oh, it really goes deeper than that. But yet, our righteousness is not me. It's the righteousness of Christ. Secondly, uh, you've got to believe the gospel. You've got to see how much Jesus loves you if you're ever going to make any progress against sin. You've got to see, and this is the reinforcement we just said a minute ago, you've got to see that Jesus is wonderful and good and that he's given himself for you in spite of the wreck of your heart and your life. Uh, The only way your favorite idol gets cast aside is if you've got a greater love for Jesus Christ. There's a sermon many years ago by a man named Thomas Chalmers. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Uh, And and he basically says what we've been saying. The only way an old love lets go of your heart is when a new love comes along. And what's really going to drive those idols out of your heart and your life is to see the love of Jesus Christ for you. And as you see how much Jesus loves you, then you grope more and more in love with Him. And that's the only way you're going to change. Well, do you see all these things? Uh, do, you, do you see and believe that you're still a sinner? Even if you're a Christian? 
Uh, do you realize that that sin that we get so comfortable with uh, has cancer-like potential in it and that we need to deal with it in that way? Uh, are you dealing with the root? Or are you content to just kind of lop off the, the fruit every once in a while and not go any deeper? Uh, are you simply trying to will yourself into being a better person? Are, are you striving to know the Lord uh, and understand the beauty of the gospel in a way uh, that begins to make Him more attractive and gives you new affections and a new heart for Him? Let me pray for us.